the story we're reading, the Mahabharata, is at the end of the Dwapara Yuga. And Vishnu has incarnated again as Krishna in, in this Dwapara age, Dwapara Yuga. And his wife, uh, he always takes Lakshmi, an incarnation of Lakshmi, as his wife. And his wife, Krishna's wife, was called Rukmini. And she was an incarnation of Lakshmi. Excuse me. And that was a beautiful Lakshmi mantra chant that we were listening to uh, while we were waiting to start here. So welcome, and uh, we're going to carry on with our story. I'm going to, I like to read, I love to take apart from the main uh, translation because it's so much more uh, complete. It's so much more complete, this main translation, and you really get a sense for the depth of of this this song. I call it a song because it has rhyming verses, not the English translation is not rhyming verses, but the original is Sanskrit rhyming verses. And there was 100,000 rhyming verses to make up this song. And it used to be sang. And men would actually, there were people that actually could recite the entire thing without stopping. It would take quite a while, but they could do it. Uh, because in the Dwapara Yuga, the age before this one, which is just one age higher than this age of Kali that we're in, in the Dwapara Yuga, even then people had some amazing powers. You know, there were there were magical beings. There were there were beings that don't exist today, at least as far as we know. There were Rakshasas, uh, and there were a lot of celestial beings that were seen on the earth at different times. Uh, who had all sorts of different mantras and powers and, and so forth. And even on the earth, there were, there were just humans, regular humans that had quite, had uh, accumulated a lot of ascetic power. They called it asceticism by renouncing things, by doing yoga practices, fasting, chanting, praying to the gods and so forth. And they gathered up all this ascetic power. And with that ascetic power, the Brahmas, the Brahmins, they had such accumulation of this ascetic power that if they said something, it always would come true. And they had a they were known to have a very quick temper. They would get upset very easily. So everybody was really careful around Brahmins, the Brahmin caste, because if you did something and it upset them, they would curse you and whatever they said would absolutely come true. Like that was the power that they had accumulated, that the words that they said would always come true. And there are lots of stories in here that we were, we're going to be hearing where certain individuals get cursed by just making a mistake, an accident even. And we've already, we've already seen that happen uh, to one of the the guys, Pandu, which is which is basically the father of the Pandavas, but wasn't able to have sex because he 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 killed and and you guys we who were here last time you you saw the story about 
he was out hunting and he saw a couple of deer and he shot him and he didn't know they were they were making in the process of making love and it was it was considered a sin to shoot animals to kill animals while they were making love but he did it anyway and it turned out that these two deer were actually two brahmins a wife and a husband making love in the form of a deer so as they were dying they cursed him that the next time he made love to either one of his two wives that he would die so he he he, and that's how he died. He finally gave into it later in his life, and he he dropped dead uh, that way from that curse. So anyway, there the the Pandavas. Um, there's five brothers, and they're all the sons of one of the gods. We've talked about this, and there was a a whole chapter of their life where they had to be in disguise and they had to be incognito they had to be they had to disappear so they took they took on the dress of brahmins and brahmins just wore like tree bark and animal skins loincloth you know they very simple they they didn't have a job they just would beg for food every day and they would eat the alms a l m s alms which are the 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 the, give, the gifts given to them by the people. And everybody gave gifts to the, the Brahmins because that was good karma to give them gifts, to give them food. So everybody fed the Brahmins. They, they didn't make any of their own food. They didn't have a job. All they did was pray and worship and do ascetic duties and so forth and, and honor the gods and everything. And everybody took care of them. That was the Brahmin class. But so the Pandavas and their mother, the five Pandavas and their mother were disguised as Brahmins. And at this, at this story that I'm going to read is, is from that chapter when they were disguised. They were disguised for a whole year. And at this point in the story, they're staying in the house of this Brahmin family. And the Brahmin family graciously allowed them to stay there for a little while. So one day, this Brahmin family... Uh, they hear Kunti, who is the mother of the Pandavas, she hears them talking and she hears them crying. And she doesn't know what, what's going on, but they're all like distressed. There was a father, a, there was a mother, a father, and a daughter, and a young son. And they were all basically crying. And, and this really piqued Kunti's interest they're staying with these these brahmins and you know they want to know what's going on why are they why are they so sad you know and um it's it's interesting that um let me see make make sure i have yeah my dog is wanting my attention give me one second what's wrong buddy are you okay did you lock yourself out? Did you lock yourself out? Are you okay? <laughs> I'm going to have to go uh, really quick and put him out into the, I think he locked himself out of the out, rest of the house. Be right back. Come on, buddy. Come on. Let's get Oh, how did you get in here, buddy? Okay. Go on.
<laughs> I didn't even know he was in here. Somehow he snuck by my attention. Anyway, he's good now. So, you know, Kunti is the mother of the five Pandavas, and, and these are some of the greatest warrior warriors on the whole earth. They're all disguised as Brahmins, wearing animal skins and tree bark and so forth, but but they're extremely powerful kids. Okay. They're young, but they're they've already been trained and they're and they're well versed in all the weapons. So um so Kunti overhears them crying. And she steps in and she says to them, I desire to learn from you the cause of this grief, for I will remove it if possible. The Brahmana replied, O thou of ascetic wealth, thy speech is indeed worthy of thee, but this grief is incapable of being removed by any human being. Not far from this town there liveth a Rakshasa by the name of Vaka, which is a cannibal, and he is the lord of this country and town. Thriving on human flesh, that wretched, wretched Rakshasa, endued with great strength, ruleth this country. He being the chief of the demons, this town and country in which it is situated are protected by his might. We have no fear from the machinations of any enemy or indeed from any living soul. The fee, however, fixed for that cannibal is his food, which consists of a cartload of rice, two buffaloes, and a human being who conveyeth them to him. One after the other, the householders have to send him this food. The turn, however, cometh to a particular family at intervals of many long years. If there are any that, that seek to avoid it, the Rakshasa will come and kill them, with their children and wives and devour them all. There is in this country a city called Vekakia, where liveth the king of these territories. He is ignorant of the science of government and possesses of little intelligence. He adopts not, not with the care of any measure by which these territories may be rendered safe for all to come. So Vaka has, has, has made a promise to these people that he'll protect them from any other enemies because he's very powerful. He's a Rakshasa. He's huge. Uh, but they have to give him, on a regular basis, they have to give him a cartload of food, uh, two oxen that, that ride it to, that, to bring it to him, and the person, and he eats all of them. You know, Now, Rakshasas are, um, they're one of the, beings that do not exist anymore at least not during this time period but they could they were in their natural form they were huge they were giant uh i mean i don't have a picture of one but they were red they had huge lips and a lot of them were were carnivores a lot of them were cannibals would eat humans and they could also assume any form they could actually change their form into any form they wanted to at will so they could you know sneak up on you if they wanted to so anyway, um, we certainly deserve this terrible monarch. They're talking about the king of the land who's different from the Rakshasa. As we live within the domination of that wretched and weak monarch and perpetual anxiety, Brahmanas can never be made to dwell permanently within 
with the dominion of anyone, for they are dependent on nobody. They live rather like birds, ranging all countries in perfect freedom. It has been said that one must secure a good king and then a wife and then wealth. It is by the acquisition of these three that one can rescue his relatives and sons. But as regards the acquisition of these three, the course of my actions has been the reverse. This is the uh, the father of the, Brahm the Brahmins are staying with. He's talking. Hence, plunged into a sea of danger, I am suffering sorely. That turn, destructive of one's family, has now devolved upon me. So now it's their turn to give up somebody in their household to the Rakshasa. I shall have to give unto the Rakshasa at his feet the food of the aforesaid description and one human being, one human being to boot. I have no wealth to buy a man with. I cannot by any means cons consent to part with any one of my family, nor do I see any way of escape from the clutches of that Rakshasa. I am now sunk in an ocean of grief from which there is no escape. I shall go to that Rakshasa today, attended by my family, in order to that that, that wretch might devour us, devour us all at once. So he's the father has decided he's just going to take the whole family there and just you know just forget it. Kunti said, then. Grieve not at all, O Brahmana, on account of this danger. I see a way by which to rescue thee from that Rakshasa. Thou hast only one son, who besides is very of very tender years, and also only one daughter, young and helpless. I do not like that that any of these, or thy wife, or even thyself, should go to that Rakshasa. I have five sons, O Brahma, Brahmana. Let one of them go, carrying in behalf tribute of that Rakshasa. <laughs> now, I, I start laughing when I get to this part in the story because <laughs> she's, and if you guys remember last week, last time we talked, the last story, Beam, the eldest son, I mean, not the eldest, not he wasn't the eldest, he wasn't the firstborn, but Beam was the strongest of all of the Pandavas. And he, in an attempt to kill him, he actually he actually ended up drinking this divine elixir that made him stronger than like 10,000 elephants, okay? He was just so strong. Um, and he could pull up a tree by the roots with his hand and use it as a club. It, the guy, this guy was like unbelievable. Anyway, hearing this, the, the Brahmana replied, to save my own life, I shall never suffer this to be done. I shall never sacrifice to save myself, the life of a Brahmana or of the guest. Indeed, those who are of low origin and sinful practices refuse to do what thou asked me to do. It is said that one should sacrifice oneself and one's offspring for the benefit of a Brahmana. And see, they were disguised as Brahmanas. So this Brahmana thinks they're Brahmanas as well. I regard this advice excellent, and I like to follow it too. When I have to choose between the death of a Brahmana and that of my own, I would prefer the latter. The killing of a Brahmana is the highest sin, and there's no expiation for it. I think... I think a reluctant sacrifice of one's own self is better than the reluctant sacrifice of a Brahmana. Oh, blessed lady, in sacrificing myself, I do not become guilty of self-destruction. No sin can attach to me when another take when another when another will take my life. 
But if I deliberately consent to the death of a Brahmana, it would be cruel and a sinful act from, from the consequence of which there is no escape. The learned have said that the abandonment of one who shall who hath come to thy house to, and sought thy protection is also the killing of one who seeketh death at thy hands is both cruel and sinful. The illustrious among the among those conversant with the practices allowable in seasons of distress have before now said that one should never perform an act that is cruel and censurable. It is well for me that I should today perish myself with my wife, but I would never sanction the death of a Brahmana. So she's, he's saying, I'm not going to let you send one of your sons to this guy. Kunti said, I too am firmly of, of, uh, am firmly of of opinion, O Brahmana, that Brahmanas should never should ever be protected. As regards myself, no son of mine would be less dear to me, even if I had a hundred instead of the five that I have. But this Rakshasa will not be able to kill my son. <laughs> I'm laughing because she's talking about Beam. For that son of mine is endued with the greatest great prowess and energy and skill in mantras. He will faithfully deliver to that Rakshasha, his food, but will, I know, to a certainty, rescue himself. I have seen before many mighty Rakshasas of huge bodies engaged, engaged in combat with my heroic son and killed too by him. O Brahmana, do not disclose this fact to anyone. For if it is known, persons desirous of obtaining this power will, from curiosity, always trouble my sons. The wives have said that if my son imparteth any knowledge without the assent of his preceptor unto any person, my son himself will no longer be able to profit by that knowledge. Thus addressed by, the, by, by Kunti, the Brahmana with his wife became exceedingly glad and assented to Kunti's speech, which was unto them as nectar. Then Kunti, accompanied by the Brahmanas, went to the son of Vayu, Bhim, Bhim, who was the son of the wind god, who's also Hanuman, by the way, and asked him to accomplish that difficult task. Bhim replied unto them, saying, So be it. After Bhim had pledged himself to, to accomplish the task, saying, I will do it, the Pandavas, O Bharata, returned home with the alms they had obtained during the day. So they had... When they were in disguise of Brahmas, in order to find food, they would go out and beg for food every day, and then they would all split it up. Then Yudhistra, the, the eldest son of Pandu, from from Bina's, Beam's from the look on Beam's face alone, suspected the nature of the task he had undertaken to accomplish. Sitting by the side of his mother, Yudhistra asked her in private. What is the task, O oh mother, that beam of terrible prowess seeketh to accomplish? Does he do so at thy command or of his own accord? Kunti replied, Bhima, that chastiser of foes, will at my command do this great deed for the good of the Brahmanas and the liberation of this town? Yudhistra said, What rash act hast thou done, O oh mother? It is difficult of being is it is difficult of being performed and almost amount to suicide. That learned never, the learned never applaud the abandonment of one's child. Why dost thou, O mother, wish to sacrifice thy own child for the sake of another's? Thou hast, O mother, by this abandonment of thy child, acted not only against the course of human practices, but also against the teachings of the Vedas. That Bhima, relying on whose arms we sleep happily in the night and hope to recover the kingdom 
of which we have been deprived of by the covetous sons of Dhritarashtra, that hero of immeasurable energy, remembering whose prowess Duryodhana and Sukuni do not sleep a wink during the whole night, and by whose prowess we were rescued from the palace of lack and various other dangers, that beam who caused the death of Puruchana and relying on those who might we regard ourselves as having already slain the sons of Dhritarashtra and acquired the whole earth with all her wealth upon considerations. O oh, mother, hast thou resolved upon abandoning him? Hast thou been deprived of thy reason? Hath thy understanding have been clouded by the calamities thou hast undergone? On hearing these words, Kunti said, O oh, Yudhistra. Now Yudhistra was the son of Dharma. So he understood Dharma, which is right action. Dharma means right action. He understood it perfectly, okay? But he doesn't know exactly everything that's going on here. Kunti said, O Yudhistra, thou needest not be anxious on account of Vrikodara. Vrikodara was uh, Beam's other name, uh, another name of his. And Vrikodara, by the way, it means wolf belly, because he was always hungry. He was so big, you know, and he was so strong, and they were begging for food that he he never really got enough food. Um, they would split it up, and he him getting an equal portion was never enough. I have not come to resolve owing to any weakness of understanding. Respected by him with our, our sorrows assuaged, we have, O son, been living in the house of this Brahmana unknown to the sons of Dhritarashtra. By requiring, O son, the Brahmana, I have resolved to do this. He indeed is a man upon whom good offices are never lost. The measure of his requital becometh greater than the measure of the services he received. Beholding this, the prowess of Bhima on the occasion of our escape from the house of Lak, and from the, with the destruction also of Hadimba, who was another Rakshasa that, that he killed, my confidence in Vrikodara is great. The mighty beam's arms is equal unto 10,000 elephants. It was therefore that he succeeded in carrying all of us, each as heavy as, each heavy as an elephant from Varnavata. There is no one on earth equal unto beam in might. He may overcome that foremost of warriors, the holder of the thunderbolt himself. That's Indra, uh, is the thunderbolt holder, who's the lord of the gods, by the way. Um, okay, so he... Do, 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 do. Soon after his birth, beam fell upon my lap... He, he fell from my lap on the breast of a mountain, on the on the breast of a mountain. By the weight of his body, the mass of stone on which he fell broke into pieces. From this also, O son of Pandu, I have come to know Beam's might. For this reason, I have resolved to set him against this Brahmana's foe. I have not acted in this from foolishness or ignorance or from motive or gain. I have deliberately resolved to do this virtuous deed. By this act, O Yudhistra, two objects will be accomplished. One is the requital, paying back the services rendered by the Brahmana, and the other is the acquisition of high religious merit. It is my conviction that the Kshatriya, the warrior, who rendereth help unto a Brahmana in anything acquiring regions of bliss hereafter. So, also, a kshatriya who saveth the life of a kshatriya achieveth that great fame in the world as in the other. A kshatriya rendering help unto a Vaishna, which is the uh, the class just below the kshatriya, also on earth acquires 
worldwide popularity. One of the one of the kingly tribes should protect even Sudra, the Sudra, which is the servant class, who comes to him for protection. If he does so, in his next life, he receives his birth in the royal line, commanding prosperity and the respect of other kings. O scion of the Puru race, this the illustrious Vyas of wisdom acquired by hard ascetic toil told me so in bygone days. It is therefore that I have resolved upon accomplishing this deed. So she's telling her son, her eldest son, that she's. this is why she's sending Bean to do this task, to kill this Rakshasa. Having heard these words of his mother, Yudhishthira said, What thou, O mother, has deliberately done, moved by compassion for the afflicted Brahmana, is indeed excellent. Bean will certainly come back with life after having slain the cannibal, inasmuch as thou art, O mother, always compassionate unto Brahmanas. But tell the Brahmana, O mother, that he doth not do anything whereby the dwellers of this town may know all about it and make him promise to keep thy requests. See, they're, they're hiding in secret so that he doesn't want anybody to hear about the story and know that Beam killed this Rakshasa because then they, they would find out where they are. This this story would, would pass around and people would know. So then when the night passed away, Beam Bhima saying, the son of Pandu, talking with him, taking with him the Rakshasa's food, set out for the place where the cannibal lived. So here's Beam. He's driving a cart. And here's this man who I, I can't even imagine how big he was. You know, you think about the Incredible Hulk. He was probably like the Incredible Hulk in size. And he's not getting enough food. And he's driving this cart full of food to this Rakshasa which Rakshasa requested, and he's going there to kill him. The mighty son of Pandu, approaching the forest where the Rakshasa dealt, began to eat the food he carried himself, calling out loudly the Rakshasa by name. The Rakshasa, inflamed with anger at Beam's words, came out and approached the place where Beam was. Of huge body and great strength, of red eyes, red beard, red hair, he was terrible to behold. And he came, pressing down the earth with his tread. The opening of his mouth was from ear to ear, and his, eye, his ears themselves were straight as arrows. Of grim visage, he had a forehead furrowed into three lines. Beholding Beam eating his food, the Rakshasa advanced, biting his lips and expanding his eyes in wrath. So he's really pissed off about this. And addressing Beam, he said, Who is this fool who, desiring to go to the abode of, of Yama, Yama is the death, the god of death, eateth in, in my very sight the food intended for me? Hearing these words, Beam, O Obarata smiled in derision and disregarding the Rakshasa, just continued to eat to eat with a with his face pointing away. He didn't even turn around and look at the Rakshasa. Beholding this, the cannibal uttered a frightful yell and with both arms upraised, ran at Beam, desiring to kill him there and then. Even then, disregarding the Rakshasa and casting only a single glance at him, Rikodara, that slayer of hostile heroes, continued to eat the Rakshasa's food. He was really hungry, you know, so he was getting to eat this entire cart of food. He was very happy, and he wouldn't even pay attention to the Rakshasa. Filled with wrath at this, the Rakshasa struck from behind with both his arms a heavy blow onto the back of Bhim, the son of Kunti. But Bhim, though, struck 
struck heavily by the mighty Rakshasa with both hands, did not even look up at the Rakshasa, but continued to eat as before. Then the mighty Rakshasa, inflamed with wrath, tore up a tree and ran at Beam for striking him again. Meanwhile, the mighty Beam, that bull among men, had leisurely eaten up the whole of that food and washed himself and stood there cheerfully for a fight. Then Obarata, possessed of great energy, Beam, smiling in derision, caught with his left hand the tree hurled at him by the Rakshasa in wrath. Then that mighty Rakshasa, tearing up many more trees, hurled them at Beam, and the Pandavas, the, that Pandava also hurled as many trees back at the Rakshasa. So they're throwing trees back and forth at each other. Then old king, the combat with trees between the human being and the Rakshasa became so terrible that the whole region around soon became destitute of trees. Then the Rakshasa, saying that he was that he was none else than, than Vaka, sprang upon beam and seized the mighty beam with his arms. That hero, also clasping with his own strong arms, the strong-armed Rakshasa, and exerting himself actively, began to drag him violently. Dragged by Beam and dragging and dragging Beam also, the cannibal was overcome with great fatigue. So all of a sudden, the Rakshas is getting tired because he's fighting against Beam, who's stronger than ten thousand, as strong as ten thousand elephants. The earth began to tremble in consequence of the strength that they both exerted, and large trees that stood there broke into pieces. Then Beam, beholding the cannibal overcome with fatigue, pressed him down on the earth with his knees and began to strike him with great force. Then placing one knee in the middle of the Rakshasa's back, Beam seized his neck with his right hand and the cloth on, his, on, on the Rakshasa's waist with his left hand and bent him double with great force. The Rakshasa, the cannibal then roared frightfully and O Monarchy also began to vomit blood while he was being thus broken on Beam's knee. Then Vaka, huge as a mountain, thus broken on Beam's knee, died, uttering frightful yells. Terrified by these sounds, the relatives of, of all, all the relatives of the Rakshasa came out, old king, with their attendants. Beam, that foremost of smiters, seeing them so terrified and deprived of reason, comforted them and, and made them a promise saying, do not ever kill human beings. If you kill, if ye kill men, ye will have to die even as Baca has died. Those Rakshasas hearing the speech of Beam said, so be it, and gave O King the desired promise. From that day, O Bharata, the Rakshasa of the, the Rakshasas of that region were seen by the inhabitants of the town to be very peaceful towards mankind. Then Beam dragging the lifeless cannibal, Baca, his body, placed him at one of the gates of the town and went away unobserved by anyone so that no one would know that he did it. They didn't, they didn't want him, anyone to find out he did it. All the kinsmen of Vaka, beholding him slain by the might of Beam, became frightened and fled in different directions. Meanwhile, Beam, having, having slain the Rakshasa, Rakshasa, returned to the Brahmana's house and related to his elder brother all that had happened in detail. The next morning, the inhabitants of the, of the town came out and saw the Rakshasa lying dead on the ground, his body covered in blood. Beholding that terrible cannibal, huge as a mountain cliff, thus mangled and lying on the ground, the hair of the spectators stood erect. 
Returning to town, they soon gave the intelligence to everybody. Then, O king, the citizens by thousands, accompanied by their wives, young and old, all began to came to the spot for beholding the vodka. And they were all amazed at, at seeing the super, superhuman feat, feat that had occurred. Instantly, O monarch, they began to pray to the gods. Then they began to calculate, whose turn was it? Whose turn was it that was supposed to feed vodka that day? And ascertaining this, they came to the Brahmana's house and asked him to satisfy their curiosity. Thus asked by them repeatedly, that bull among Brahmans, Brahmanas, desirous of concealing the Pandavas, said these words unto all the citizens. A certain high-souled Brahmana, skilled in mantras, beheld me weeping with my relatives after I had been ordered to supply the Rakshasa's food. Asking me the cause and ascertaining the distress of the town, that first of the Brahmanas gave me every assurance and with smiles said, I shall carry the food for that wretched Rakshasa today. Do not fear for me. Saying this, he conveyed the food towards the forest of Vaka. This deed so beneficial unto us all has very certainly been done by him. So he's making up a little story there so that the Pandavas are not discovered. Then those Brahmanas and Kshatriyas of the city, hearing this wonderful, hearing this tale, wondered much. And the Vaishnas and the Sudras also became exceedingly glad. And they all established a festival in which they, the worship of this Brahmana was the principal ceremony in remembrance of this Brahmana who had relieved them from all their fears of Vaka. So in the, uh, in the, um, in the condensed ver version, they have a cute little thing. Um, they say that um, after Beam had killed um, Vaka and come back to the house, he had eaten so much food that he fell asleep. <laughs> that wasn't mentioned in the uh, in the, the big translation. So now we're going to turn our attention back to the main storyline. Uh, and what happened at, at this point in the story, in case you guys don't remember, was that Duryodhan and his evil uncle Sukuni had hatched the plan to have Beam killed. They they gave him a they gave him like a sedative and threw him in the water where there were poisonous snakes, and and they were thinking that he would be he would be dead, but he ended up the snake bites ended up re reviving him, and then he went down to the king of all the snakes, and the king of the snakes gave him this potion that allowed him to be as, as strong as 10,000 elephants. So now their, their, very, their hatred is growing greater, but now they knew that the Pandavas knew what, what, what had happened. So now they have to be a lot more careful in their planning. So this is where it's starting to build up, the hatred between the two. Uh, so now the, this chapter is called Enter Drona. Bhishma, who was the grandsire of all all these these the Pandavas and and the and the and the Karavas, they um, he appointed Kripa to undertake the education of the princes. Kripa was well versed in the use of arms. He had been brought up by Shantanu, who found him and his twin sister in the forest one day when he had gone out there for his hunt. Taking pity on them, he brought them home. He called them Kripa and Kripi. The father was the great Gautama. Kripa was very much interested in the use of arms. He learned it. 
Bhishma thought he was the right person to be the tutor of all the young princes. So this is when they were still young uh, and they hadn't learned all, all the arts of war yet. So he's assigning Kripa to teach them how the art of being a warrior. The sons of Dhritarashtra, the sons of and the sons of Pandu, the young princes from the house of Vrishni, Boja, and Andarka all came to Hastinapura to learn archery and other warlike arts from Kripa. They were very proficient in they were very they were proficient enough, Bhishma thought, that further training from a more capable teacher was essential. He was on the lookout for such a more capable teacher. One day the boars were all playing with a ball. All of a sudden the ball fell into a well that was nearby. The boys stood confused. The game was made to stop in the middle because they lost the ball in the well. But a man was standing there watching them. Seeing their confusion, he came up and said, Evidently you do not know the use of a bow and arrow. If you did, then there would not have been any reason for this the helplessness of yours. But we do know how to use a bow and arrow, said Yudhistra. Yudhistra came forward and said, in fact, our tutor is the great Kripa. But then what has what has that to, to do with our present predicament? How can a bow and arrow help us regain our ball? We do not understand. I will show you, said the stranger. He removed a gem set ring from his little finger and dropped it into the well. While the amazed boys looked on, this man shot an arrow into the well. The boys leaned across the parapet of the well and saw that the arrow had pierced the ball after passing through the ring. The man sent another arrow, which pierced the, pierced the, the, the one air, other arrow that had been shot before. A third pierced the second and so forth and the third and fourth until there was a whole rope of arrows. So he was, he was so skilled with the bow and arrow, he was able to shoot an arrow that went through the ring and went through the ball. And then he kept shooting arrow into the back of an arrow until there was a whole rope of arrows going all the way up to the top. Pulling up, pulling it out, he gave the ball to the boys and placed the ring back on his finger. The boys were just thunderstruck. This was a thing they had never seen. Overcome with admiration for the stranger, they said, please let us know who you are. The stranger smiled and said, Go to your grandfather and tell him what happened here. He will know who I am. The boys rushed to the palace of Bhishma and told him everything about this wonderful man. Bhishma knew at once who he was. He realized this newcomer was Drona, the husband of Kripi. He had learned archery from the great Bhargava. Now, Bhargava is that is that Brahmana that killed all the warriors on the earth like 20 times or 23 times or something. So he was like pretty much the best archer on the whole world, on the whole planet. He was the son of Bharadwaja, the great sage. Bhishma felt that that a fit tutor had a fit tutor had at last come for the young men. He hurried to the presence of Drona and welcomed him with due honor to Hastinapura. Drona was the son of Bharadwaja. In his childhood days, he had for his companion Drupada, the prince of the Panchala kingdom. So Drona was the son of, of a Brahmana. They had no money. They were poor. And his best friend was Drupada, who was a prince for a whole kingdom. They were very good friends. Once in a moment of affection, Drupada told Drona, I am indeed very fond of you. I do not want our friendship to end here in this ashram. 
I am heir to the throne of the Panchalas. When I become king, I will take you with me and we can be friends for life. Years passed and Drona married Kripi, the daughter of Sardwata. A son was born to them. His name was Ashwataman. Ashwataman turned out to be just one of the most amazing warriors also in this story. Drona's ambition was to become the greatest archer of all time. He went to the great Bhargava who had toured the world 21 times, destroying all the warriors. He received Drona with affection and said, what can I do for you? The new Drona said, I am Drona, the son of Bharadwaja. I have come to you in desire, in my desire for wealth. I have no wealth, said Bhargava. I have given away all my earthly belongings to the Kashyapa. The only thing this body can be called, the only, only this body of mine can be called my own. What can I give you as poor as I am? Drona smiled and said, my Lord, I want the wealth that you have with you. You are a past master in the art of archery. I want to be your disciple and learn it. That is easy, said Bhargava. I will accept you as my pupil. Now, Bhargava would only teach other Brahmanas. He was a Brahmana. Brahmanas weren't supposed to be warriors, but he took up the becoming a warrior because he hated the warrior class. So he's going to accept Drona because Drona is also a Brahmana. Drona smiled and said, okay, having acquired mastery over all the Astras, Drona came home. So in this day and age, they had a thing called an Astra. It was a mantra that you could chant. You would pull an arrow and you would chant this mantra and you would release the arrow. And there was, there was, I don't know, I don't know how many there were, maybe 20 ostras, different ostras. And they would do all sorts of things. Like one would cause like innumerable weapons just to fall down from the heavens, all kinds of weapons, swords, axes, spears, and everything on the enemy. Another would put them to sleep. Uh, there was there was so many of them. So and Bhargava knew all of them. So Drona had learned all of the ostras from, from Bhargava. Drona came home. Ashwataman was then a child. They were in extreme poverty. Only the child, once the child came to his mother and said, Mother, all my friends talk about something called milk. I want milk. They say that there is nothing equal to it in taste except the elixirs of the de devas. I want milk, mother. The poor woman did not know what to do. She could not satisfy the child. When Drona heard about this, he became very unhappy. But suddenly he remembered the days of his friendship with the Pandava prince, Drupada. He told Kripi, his wife, listen, Kripi, I have a friend named Drupada. He is now king of the Panchalas. He was my dear friend in the ashram when we, were, when we studied together. He has promised to share his riches with me. Let us hasten to Panchala. It will be the end of our poverty. The three of them then set out to the country called Panchala. Drona went to the court of Drupada and asked for an audience. He entered the course and said, I am Drona. I am your boyhood friend. I heard that you have become king. So I came. Do you remember the words you spoke to me when we were together in the ashram? You said that you wanted our friendship to last forever. You even offered to share your kingdom with me. I do not want your land or your riches, but I have come to you as a friend. It is up to you to keep me with you. Let us always be together. Drupada, however, had changed. He was not the same person who spoke so sweetly to the Brahmin in those days. His riches and the fact that he was the king had made him proud. Drunk with power, he laughed at Drona. He said, it makes me laugh to think that you, a poor Brahmin who I befriended in my student days, should claim friendship with me. 
Do you not know that friendship is possible only between equals? Only, only two poor men can be friends, and only two rich men can be friends. But this unusual friendship that you speak about is only a dream. I, it can never be a reality. Please go away from here and do not come back to me, pestering me with your tales of some fabulous promise of long ago. This insulted the, the insulted Brahman stood there silent for a few moments. Abruptly, without a word, he left the court of the arrogant king. In that one moment, when he stood there in court, silent, was decided his future action, and that action would be revenge. Revenge must be taking upon, taken upon this Drupada, who had been so blinded with pride that he had forgotten his promise. The man who had insulted him, as he would any beggar, must suffer for it. Drona decided to train a young Kshatriya, a young warrior in archery, and through him he would realize his dream. He turned his steps towards Hastinapura, where all the Pandavas and Karvas lived. That was where his wife's brother, Kripa, was living. He had heard, too, that Kripa was the tutor of the young princes of the Kuru house. He hoped that Hastinapura would lend, lead him to his goal. When he was on the outskirts of the city, he saw the young princes of the Kuru house. It was then that he rescued the ball for them. Bhishma came later and welcomed him to the city. Drona was very pleased with the reception of Bhishma. Drona told him all about the insults he had suffered at the hands of the proud king of the Panchalas. He told him about his desire for revenge. Bhishma said to him, you have come to the proper place. I have great I have grandchildren running into hundreds who are eager to learn archery. I will be honored and greatly relieved if you can take up the task of training them to be warriors in the real sense of the word. Drona was only too eager to oblige. Bhishma called all the children and entrusted them to Drona and said, From today they are yours. Yours is the task of bringing them up to be men, to be real men. Several years passed in the education of the young princes. All of them were good at the use of arms. But Arjuna became the favorite of Drona. Uh, you guys have probably heard of Arjuna because he was key warrior in the, the great battle at the end of the story. And he was best friends with Krishna. And he was one of the five Pandavas. He was the one that was most gifted at archery. He was ambidextrous. And that was just the beginning of it. Arjuna became the favorite of Drona. His, his love of archery, his incessant practice, his extreme patience, his devotion to his studies and to his guru and his lovable nature won the heart of Drona. It was soon an established fact that Arjuna was dearer to his guru than even the guru's own, own son, Ashwataman. It must be said in the defense of Drona that Arjuna won his heart because he was the perfect student. His concentration was admirable. He would practice all the night through, very often, to master one lesson. Drona was so pleased with him that once he told him, I have never seen an archer like you. I promise to make you the greatest archer in the world. Arjuna's joy was immense. Once while Drona was bathing, bathing in the river Ganja, he was attacked by a crocodile. It caught a hold of his leg. He sent out a cry, save me, save me from this crocodile. He could have extricated himself easily, but he wanted to test the prowess of his students. So as he called out, so he called out for help. Even before his words were out of his lips, Arjuna, 
with his quick and sharp arrows, killed the crocodile, which was submerged in the water. Drona was very happy. In his extreme pleasure, Drona taught the great Astra called Brahmasira to Arjuna. That's one of the most powerful Astras of all. I mean, it was, it was, it was like an atomic bomb, basically. He he told him how to dispatch it and how to withdraw it. So this is another thing that's kind of cool. In those days, today we have bombs and stuff, but in those days they could dispatch a, a weapon and they could all also call it back. They had the power to call it back. We do not have the power to call back a weapon that we've released like that. It's, it's amazing. Um, he told him how to dispatch it and how to withdraw it. He gave Arjuna a word of warning. He said, this Astra is too strong to be used on ordinary mortals. If it is aimed at poor, at poor ineffectual persons, it will destroy the entire world. If there's a, a person who is either a Rakshasa or a perverted deva who causes great havoc among men, then and only then should this be used. Arjuna accepted it with great humility and gratitude. Okay, let's see here. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do this other story. This one more story. This is kind of leading into everything. This is about Ekalavya, Ekalav, Ekalavya, the Nishada. So Nishadas were, were sudras, they were servant class, and they had very dark skin. They, you know, they were black, basically. So one day there came to Drona a very dark young boy. He came near the Acharya and where no one was about. He fell at the feet of the great Brahman. He said, my Lord, I have come to you to learn archery. Please accept me as your pupil. Drona liked his manners. He looked at him kindly and said, who are you? The youngster replied, I am Ekalavya. I am the son of, I can't even pronounce this word, Hiranyadanus, the king of the Nishadas. Drona would not take him as his pupil, as he was not a Kshatriya, but a Nishada. He told him gently, my dear child, I cannot take you as my pupil. I have undertaken to train these Kshatriya princes. You are not, you are not to be welcome here. I like you but I cannot take you. Disappointed and brokenhearted, the young Nishada went back to the forest where he came, all the way to Hastinapura. He bore no ill will towards Drona, but he was very unhappy. Back in the forest, he made a figure of Drona out of mud with his own hands. He, he called this image his guru. So he made a, a statue of clay of Drona. And he began to ask the statue to teach him archery. Daily, he would worship this image and then practice on his bow. In short, while he found that he was able to learn archery quickly, he found he was able to earn, learn archery very quickly. Such is the magnetism of desire and devotion. All one's conscious and unconscious thoughts are drawn towards this one desire, and all one's actions become only echoes of, of the voice of this desire. So even so, it was even so with Ekalavya. His love for archery and his love for his guru, who refused to take him as his pupil, not because he would, would not, but because he could not. These two loves made him think of archery and only archery. He wanted to master the art. Soon, he became adept at archery. Then, once later, the Kuru princes and the Pandavas went out to the forest 
On a picnic, the Pandavas had taken a dog with them. This dog had wandered off into the heart of the forest. He came upon a, this strange man at Kalavlia, and he was dressed in the skin of a leopard, and he walked like a leopard. Looking at him, the dog thought he was a wild animal. It began to bark furiously. Ekalavya, the Nishada, for it was he could not resist the temptation to use to seal the mouth of the dog with his arrows. The long face of the dog was covered with arrows. So Ekalavya, to stop the dog from barking at him, he shot arrows into his mouth in such a way that the dog could no longer bark. But he didn't hurt the dog. He just, <laughs> I mean, we can't even imagine this kind of skill. Uh, okay. The long face of the dog was covered with arrows. Seven arrows had been interlaced and woven so skillfully that the dog could not open his mouth. He ran away from that spot and reached the camp of the Pandavas. The, con the contraption about his mouth amazed everyone. Drona and his students admired the skill of, of this unknown archer a man who had created a poem with his arrows. Some of them went in search of the stranger. Finally, they found him. They asked him who he was. He says, I am Ekalavya. I am the son of Hiran, Hiran Yan, Yan, Yandus, the king of the Nishadas. I can't really pronounce that name. When they asked him how he was able to work such wonders with the bow and arrows, Ekalavya smiled a proud smile and said, that is because I am the disciple of the great Drona. They all came back to the camp and told Drona about this. Arjuna, the favorite of Drona, was not pleased at all because he thought he was the best. He went to his, his teacher and said, you have promised to me you will make me the greatest archer in the world. Now it seems as though you have given that promise to somebody else. In fact, he is already the greatest archer in the world. Drona went with Arjuna to see this at Kalavya. He did not remember him at all. He found him dressed in the skin of a leopard. He stood with his bow and arrows in his hand. Ekalavli saw his guru. He rushed to him and fell to his feet. His tears washed the feet of his beloved guru. Drona was charmed by him. He asked him when he became the pupil of Drona. Ekalavli was only too happy to relate the entire story to him. He was so naive and unaffected that Drona could not help but love him. Ekalavli did not even seem to realize how great an archer he was. Drona paused for a moment. With great unwillingness, he said to him, You claim to be my pupil. It is, it is but right that I should claim a dakshina from you. Now, in those days when uh, a teacher would teach you something, uh, they, they could claim a dakshina, which is a gift. They would ask you to give them a gift. Uh, and then you were basically required to give them whatever they asked you for. So he's, he's saying to Ekalavya that you, you're, you have to give me a gift. Of course, said Ekalavya, I will be honored to do it. Just ask. Drona saw the relentless look on the face of Arjuna. He said, I want your thumb, the thumb of your right hand. Not even a sigh escaped the lips of Ekalavya. He smiled and said, I am happy to give you this dakshina in return for the art I have learned from you. Here it is. He took a crescent arrow from his quiver and severed his thumb from his right hand and laid the bleeding digit at the feet of his beloved guru. Now, here's the thing about Ekalavya. His, his love was so pure and his devotion was so pure that he didn't even hesitate, even though by giving his thumb to his guru, he no longer could be as good an archer as he was. 
he could no longer be better than Arjuna. So it was kind of a selfish act of, Dro of Drona to ask for that thumb because he wanted Arjuna to still be, be able to claim that he was the best archer on earth when in fact Ekalovli was better than Arjuna. And he wasn't the only one better than Arjuna as we'll find out later. Drona received it. Arjuna was happy. There was nothing more to be said or done. It was all over. Ekalovli fell at the feet of his guru and saluted him. He bade him adieu. Drona and Arjuna walked silently back to the camp. So, Ekalavlia was, he actually uh, takes part in the great battle, you know, and he's hes still really good, but he, he can't, without his thumb on his right hand, which is the, the hand you pull the arrow back with, he, he never was able to be as good as he was. He, he was better than Arjuna, uh, more and maybe even more skilled than Drona himself, actually, at that point. Uh, and just by his worship and devotion to Drona. So that uh I think that about wraps it up here for the evening. Um how many of you got to hear any of the song that I played in the beginning? Didn't any of you get a chance to hear that? Um I'm just gonna play a couple like a minute of it, and you guys can hear it as we as we call it an evening here it's um it's really beautiful this is a, a again this is a uh, a lakshmi a lakshmi chant let's see here um share screen yes okay here we go okay Thanks, Rachel. Appreciate it. Glad you guys could make it tonight. I love reading these stories. Thanks for showing up. It's nice to know that I have a, a group of like-minded individuals to share this with. I love it. this out here. I'll see you guys in a couple weeks. Look forward to it. Have a great rest of your night and this week.